historian, entrepreneur, and author Itai Tenenbaum is your guide for a behind-the-scenes tour of Israeli society and objective analysis of the key issues of the day for anyone who wants a deep and authentic look inside Israel. Today I want to tell you about Israel's lightning speed vaccinations. On December 11th, the FDA issued the first emergency use authorization, it's called the EUA, for COVID vaccine. Eight days later, on December 19th, 2020, the first Israelis were vaccinated. The first Israelis, by the way, were the Prime Minister and the Minister of Health to show people, hey, it's safe to be vaccinated, come out here and get vaccinated. January 3rd, 2021, that's only 15 days after the first person was vaccinated, 1.3 million Israelis were vaccinated, and that's 14% of all Israelis. England, which has its own vaccine, has only 1.4% vaccinated by January 3rd. In the United States, only 1.3%. Russia, one half of a percent. And Germany, even less than a half a percent, to be exact, 0.3 or three-tenths of 1% in Germany were vaccinated. How is Israel so fast? How is Israel lightning speed ahead of everybody else? It has to do with infrastructure. It has to do with mentality. It has to do with culture. Let me spell it out for you. First of all, in Israel, there are four major kupot cholim. What does that mean? That's the Hebrew word for HMO, otherwise known as health maintenance organization. Four, every Israeli, regardless of whether they are young or old, if they were born yesterday or if they're 90 years old, regardless if they're employed or unemployed, it doesn't matter. Every single Israeli is insured by one of these HMOs. That means that every HMO has representation all over Israel. Every city, every village, kibbutz, moshav, whatever it may be, has representation of the HMOs. The infrastructure is pretty amazing. These HMOs are basically run socialistically. They're non-profit. However, they're extremely competitive with one another. Each one of them wants to have the best service possible, and therefore it is business-like where Israelis can move from one HMO to the other, and therefore they need to do the best they can. An additional reason for the success of the rapid distribution of the vaccination is not for the greatest reason in the world, but something that Israelis and Israel has to contend with. We are in the Middle East, and as you know, Israel has been involved in several wars, lots of terrorism. We do not lack enemies. One of the things that our enemies perhaps intend to do is create some kind of weapon of mass destruction, chemical or biological. As a matter of fact, Syria, our next door neighbor to the northeast of us, had had a large quantity of chemical and biological weapons until not long ago. Israel had to train for the possibility of a chemical or biological attack. And that training involved these HMOs. The HMOs trained to vaccinate the population as fast as possible. They trained this over and over again. When the COVID plague hit, what they had to do is put into practice what they trained, set up the vaccination stations, and vaccinate as soon as possible, not against chemical or biological, but against this COVID plague. Add to that, that the culture of Israelis is a huge willingness to vaccinate. By March of 2021, the end of March 2021, which is exactly four months after the first person is vaccinated, up to 70% of Israelis will have been vaccinated. Why is there such a culture of willingness to be vaccinated? Because Israelis trust their medical system, because the doctors are wonderful. Israelis trust them, and they're willing to be vaccinated. They're willing to listen to them. If the doctors say this is safe, Israelis believe them. There's another reason why we are successful at fast vaccination. If I was a CEO of Pfizer or the CEO of Moderna or the CEO of any other company that's created a vaccine, I would want to use Israel as a model 
because Israel is small, because Israel has the HMOs I told you about, because Israel has the great infrastructure, because Israel has willingness to be vaccinated, this is a great test case for these companies to show the world it works. The vaccine works. Not only does it work, but here's a model of how to implement the vaccination. Countries from all over the world are already looking into the Israeli model, want to implement it in their own countries. And keep in mind, if and when, and hopefully never, but if and when there are further epidemics in this world, this is the model that will be successful in being victorious over these epidemics. So up to now, it sounds pretty honky-dory, sounds pretty good, I could say, and they live happily ever after, almost. Let's take a little deeper look and understand uh, some of the context that has to do with several segments of the population of Israel. And I want to start with the Arab Israelis. Right off the bat, know that 21% of Israelis are Arab. The Arab Israelis, until recently, had never been in government. They never had a party that actually joined the government and were in it, and therefore were always kind of sidelined when it came to budgets, when it came to understanding their needs, and so on. When the COVID plague hit, the instructions to deal with it, and if you remember, it was confusing at first, so the instructions to deal with it were in Hebrew. And unless you were a Hebrew speaker, you didn't get the information fast enough. I'll give you an example. I live in a town called Zichon Yaakov, which is on the Carmel Hills. And across the valley is a, vill a village, an Arab village called Faradis. And when I would go there to the supermarket, people weren't wearing masks. Not because they were in contempt, not because they were disrespectful, but because they didn't realize the graveness of the situation because they just weren't getting the information. In addition, the Arab households, usually in the villages, have multi-families. Uh, sons get married, they bring their wives home, they have children, sometimes they build an addition to the home, which means a lot of people are living in the same house. Result, um, people closer together, uh, touching each other, as a result, more COVID within the families. Another fact that's interesting is that large parts of the Arab Muslims, uh, and incidentally, of the 21% of Israel that are Arab, 65% of the 21% are Muslim. Many of the Muslims are observant, especially if they're 65 and over, which means that they go to mosque. The mosques, the prayer at mosque, um, is five times a day. The Arab Israelis didn't really realize the graveness of the situation until the schools closed down. Once the school closed down, they realized something is going on, something as big is going on. The, the situation was dealt with. It was dealt with fairly quickly, but not quick enough, as I said. And the reason I say this is because even though the Arab Israelis are 21% of the population, they make up 35% of the doctors. They also make up 60% of the pharmacists. Now, the doctors, pharmacists, nurses, male and female, they went out to the population. They spoke in Arabic. There were commercials on TV, on the radio, etc., to explain the situation. And when that happened, it got better. Another part of an Arab population that was even more difficult to, um, to explain the graveness of COVID were the Bedouins. The Bedouins live mostly in southern Israel in the Negev Desert. Some of the Bedouin villages are not connected to the electrical grid and don't even have running water, which means that the hygienes are not to a standard. Furthermore, in the Arab Bedouin culture, from March until September, there are massive weddings. Most of the weddings are on Fridays, which is the holy day for the Muslims. And sometimes you can have dozens of weddings at the same time. And again, this is problematic, of course, being so close to one another, celebrating, sweating on one another, and that's the Bedouin population. Let me talk about another segment of the population, which actually are not Israeli citizens. 
150,000 Palestinian workers come into Israel on a daily basis from the West Bank. Most of them are in the construction industry. They build housing and buildings and so on in Israel. And in the evening, they would go back to the West Bank. There is no testing or there was no testing, even serological or COVID testing in the West Bank for a long time. And in March 2021, scores of Palestinians were sick in the West Bank. The Palestinian workers were in Israel almost transparent. They're almost invisible as far as Israel is concerned because they come in, they work at a construction site, they go back home to the West Bank. They raise their voices at one point. They realize this is dangerous for them, for their families, and for Israelis. So when they raise their voices, the government finally heard them and decided they were going to vaccinate every single worker. And at this point, they're vaccinated. But again, that took time. The third segment of population that I want to talk about are the ultra-Orthodox. Once again, in Hebrew, they're known as the Haredim. The Haredim are 12% of the population, and they're very diverse. They have a lot of groups within them, branches, streams, and so on. The leadership always wants isolation from the general secular society. And at the climax of the COVID plague, the leaders of different streams, like the Lithuanian stream of ultra-Orthodox, of Haredim, there's a rabbi named Rabbi Kanievsky, instructed to keep the schools open, not to close the schools. Now, in Israel, schools were closed, and within Israel, in an autonomous Haredi community, uh, they weren't. They, were, they kept open. Why? COVID was and still is viewed by the Haredi population, and I shouldn't say the population, I'd say by the leadership, as an existential threat to their own community, not due to the sickness and possible death, but rather due to the potential of their community falling apart. What do I mean? Most Haredim have no smartphones, no real internet, no TV, and definitely no ability to have Zoom meetings or Zoom learning. As COVID hit and people stayed home, mainly the youth, the young and the youth and the young adults had a lot of time on their hands. This youth, again, young adults, have never really been on their own for an extended period of time. The fear of the leadership was that they would look for other venues of culture, education, lifestyle. This is not baseless. The leadership was scared for a good reason. According to the Israeli Institute of Democracy, which is a reputable, prestigious institution, during the last year of COVID, the numbers of those leaving the Haredi community, leaving the Haredi world, rose by 50%. Climax numbers. So understand that 14% of every birth year, in other, words, in other words, of every age group within the Haredi world, 14% leaves that world and starts to live in a secular world. Now, for the leadership, what is more dangerous? There's a Hebrew term called pikuach nefesh, which means the saving of a soul. And the Talmud even says, if you've saved one soul, you've saved an entire universe. Now, is that the saving of a soul physically? Is that a saving of a soul spiritually? People have their different opinions, but think about the parent of a child who's going to school this parent is abiding by the authority of the leader, the rabbi, and sending the kids to school. But they're torn because on the one hand, they're scared for their own children. And they're also scared that when the children come home, they'll infect not only them as parents, but also their parents. In other words, the grandparents of the child. Most of them actually chose to abide because of the understanding that it is more important to keep a communal life than to lose their Haredi lifestyle in general. Now, add to that something else which is interesting. 
There are youth in Israel, just like anywhere else in the world, that I would say are more troubled. They have issues fitting in. Some of them have turned a life into a life of crime. And others have had a tough life and need assistance. They need help. The Haredi community has been very good at taking this youth in, teaching them values and morals. And also, of course, they've become observant. This youth, without a framework, in this case, the Haredi school system, would be out in the street and would perhaps return to their previous life. For all these reasons, the Haredi community was struck harder with COVID, with sickness, and with death. There's no doubt that for some of the Haredi community, there is a crisis in leadership, or they believe in their leaders, which we will know more about as time progresses. It's too soon to tell how this will affect the Haredi community in general. The last segment of the population I want to mention are, I'm going to call them the travelers, even though they're not really a segment of the population. In the summer of 2020, Israel reached a historical peace agreement with the Arab Emirates states in the Persian Gulf. As a result of that, the politicians, the leadership, who really wanted to emphasize this achievement, allowed for Dubai, Bahrain, again, the United Arab Emirates, to be green in terms of COVID, even though it wasn't really green. And many Israelis who had direct flights, which is not a long flight, to Dubai, chose to go and visit. They contracted some of the uh, British variant in Dubai and the United Arab Emirates, came back to Israel. Unfortunately, the airport, as they returned, was not handled well, and that's um, an understatement, and helped to spread the disease all over Israel. The airport or the flights to the Arab Emirates were eventually closed off, but... By the time they were, it was a bit too late. Having given you all the issues we've had with the problematic of COVID in Israel, I want to go back to the general population and say the following. Once the vaccinations kicked in, and once we overcame this British variant, we felt we won. As a matter of fact, there was even reports in the newspapers, we won, we defeated COVID. Did we really? Well, I'm not sure. But the restaurants opened up, the movie theaters opened up, even tourism is allowed from August 1st, 2021. Unemployment is back to normal, which is around 5%. And so for most Israelis, they feel as if their life is back to normal. And this could be a bit of a facade. We Israelis live in the Middle East. In the Middle East, we Israelis are a democracy. We are first world. All around us are non-democracies, third world, and hence we've always felt isolated. We felt like an island. We're not a geographical island, but we felt like an island. As far as COVID are concerned, it is not an island. We cannot live under the illusion that uh, we're not going to have COVID. North Korea, the most hermetically sealed country in the world, has COVID. Surely we will. I now want to end on an optimistic note. We know that the vaccines created for COVID were done in a very fast manner. It took one year for Pfizer, Moderna, AstraZeneca, and other companies to create a vaccination. That has never been done in the world before. Usually vaccines take years, the testing take years. This was done very, very quickly. Israel specializes in technology, specializes in biotechnology, and specializes in medical technology. Scientists in Israel, high-tech workers say, that what we need to do is create an infrastructure that would be able to read the genetic sequence, the genetic code of future plagues, hence being able to create a vaccine within 
Ready? Three months. That's what they say. In other words, in the future, it should take, if we have the right infrastructure, three months to be able to create a vaccine to defeat a plague. That, I think, is what Israel needs to do. And I am fairly convinced that Israel is actually working on it. Log into InsideIsrael.fm to access all of our podcasts. You can also access us on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and more. InsideIsrael.fm